Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get this show on the road, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social media. Safely, cleanly, and keep washing your hands. Go. Absolutely. God, yes. 22nd rule, especially. Hum the X-Men uh, 92 theme song. da 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 But anyway, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. You can find us on there. You can also find us on Instagram and the Twitter machine at The Marvelists. You can find us individually, myself on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, and on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Melnick. And there's only one place in the whole wide internet that you can find Eddie Wilson, and that is on Instagram at Eddie9193. And on top of that, you can listen to this show on a wide variety of streaming platforms. Whatever you're listening to this show on right now for yourself is one. But on top of that, you can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and most importantly, iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share, yada, yada, yada. Five star if you're ever so inclined. Broken ice cream machines. I don't care. Whatever. But on top of that. All right. Peter's up to three tops now. With someone who is all new. He's all stew, even. He is Stuart Greenberg. Stuart, how are you doing today? I am doing uh, great, Peter. Thank you. And um, uh, I prefer stew, stew to my friends. So definitely for you guys. Thank you. Well, Peter, <laughs> he gives such an introduction. Stew, so. Yes, yeah. but, you know, you also added, uh, you added on Stuart. And, you know, even though it takes the art out of my name, I still prefer stew overall. Absolutely. I, I, as someone who hates being called Pete, I understand. I, I like having my R in there. I like stew overall, actually. That's a nice, catchy phrase. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll go for that then, Eddie. All right. I get, five, I get 5% of that. Of I course. Photoshop, though, the uh, all-new, all-different logo for Marvel and make it all-new, all-stew. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. Excellent. Good. So, hey, I think this is the first time that, Stu, um, I'm talking to you t- together, of course, on this, on this podcast. So, so welcome. Happy inauguration. Thank you. I, I certainly appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that it, it took um, basically a, a worldwide event to make it happen. But hey, you know you got to make the best of bad situations. It's all in the timing. And what we've all been doing in this moment of all of this stuff going on, we've been doing a lot of reading. We've been doing a lot of playing. But most importantly, we've been doing a lot of watching. And if you're at home, there's a very big chance you have Disney Plus. And each of us here on the show, we have Disney Plus accounts. And what does Disney Plus have? A lot of stuff. It's got Pete's Dragon, which I imagine that Pete likes being called Pete. Again, I don't. But it's a good fallback. Have... Thank you. We all. Peter Pan. I'm three cups of coffee's in, and I just did a little, yeah, cheers with oh, the mug. Peter it's Cottontail. Got a, on my... got a possum on my mug, too. Rootin', lootin', sassin', trashin'. Peter Rabbit. But... 
which, by the way, that one got uh, delayed. Peter Cotton or Peter Rabbit too. Delayed. You know, you know what I heard? It was delayed to like the summer. So yeah, that's great. Uh, an Easter movie in the summer. So, but I guess you know. I guess it will work out. Gee, well, then we get to Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater. We're going to have to have the November pumpkin. I don't know. Exactly. Right into Thanksgiving. Perfect. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> it's three Eddies now. Okay. Southern bless your heart. Mm. <laughs> now, on top of that, like I said, we all have Disney Plus, and a lot of us have been doing rewatches. A lot of us have been watching shows for the very first time, and for myself, and I imagine everyone on the line, apparently, this is a first time for watching Spider-Man 81. Mm-hmm. And if you're at home, cue it up. Watch the episode number six when Magneto speaks, I believe, of Spider-Man 81. Uh, yes, there's a little bit more to that. I, if I can find the title exactly, I will. But I, I have it. It's when, it's when Magneto speaks, people listen. There you go. Thank you, Stu. And you can tell it's a Magneto episode because it's got the bucket head on the uh, little thumbnail. So. Which is what he calls, which is what Spidey calls him. And I'm like, Buckethead, that's the character Nova. Hold on. That's a great guitar. You know, too. I thought it was Juggernaut. I thought they called Juggernaut Buckethead. Oh, not that I'm aware, but hey, it, if the helmet fits, wear it. Spider-Man is an equal opportunity bucket namer. But if so. we're going to drop, right, jump, jump, drop, whatever, right into it, drop, stop, drop, roll, whatever. Um, Mr. M, I guess he's, he's his first um, hint as to who this nefarious villain might be in this episode and i'm like wait what and eddie when, exactly. you text, when i texted you the other day asking or saying hey watch this episode you had immediately responded back with the mr m line from the episode and i thought you were just being cheeky with me because i still hadn't seen it at that point oh so, great you asked me if i saw it and you haven't watched the damn thing hey i watched it last night and <gasps> well better recall than get- me Let's just get into our general thoughts of the episode, and I'll go first. I was bored to tears watching this thing, and I will say, though, there are lots of pros to the show, as there are a lot of cons, but, yeah, this the pacing of the episode was so bone-dry, and I understand that it's a product of its time, yep. and... It was just, I imagine if you're watching that compared to other shows at the time, you're probably enjoying so many other shows over this. <laughs> go ahead, Stu, I'll let you go. Well, um, I think, uh, first of all, I was disappointed that there were there was not uh, Iceman and uh, Firestar in this, but as we as we were discussing before we started the recording, that was from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And um, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. One of the, the big things I noticed was that the music sounded like it was coming from an Irwin Allen TV show. I, I was getting a lot of Lost in Space vibes off of it. So, you know, that in a way was good. It created the atmosphere and in a way it was distracting because I was looking for, you know, Dr. Smith and the robot and Robinson to show up. Well, it's so funny danger, you mentioned that. It's funny you mentioned that, Stu, because maybe at the time, and I'm just kind of speculating here that this eh, it wasn't in the mainstream of, is this a cartoon? Is it something more than that? Do we give it a sci-fi twist? And so maybe that 
played into you know the music that was picked for that, or it was just the rights were available. I, I don't know. But my first reaction was, where did this come from? I don't remember this actually. And I know I was growing up, I was in my teens, so and I was getting into collecting comic books, that kind of thing. And yeah, I thought of Spider-Man as an, and his amazing friends after the original uh, '67 series that I remember. And yet, this yeah, this uh, preceded. Yeah, it was stuck, sandwiched in there somehow in the middle. And the the thing that I jumped that jumped out at me, sort of, kind of, and it wasn't in 3D, was the opening and the closing. It was Spider-Man, and then however much incidental music, 30 seconds, and again, <laughs> Spider-Man. That was it. Yeah, that's the lyrics. That, <laughs> a man say, it's like it's a William Shatner album. It's like, just, the, the voice the over the voiceover guy just did one take. Hey, we're going to use it again a second time. So don't even do it. Do it twice. Thanks for coming in. And also, um, they uh, they did this whole thing where Spider Man got shrunk, and I was like, "Well, Magneto doesn't have shrinking power, so it was <laughs> it was interesting." I I don't know if that is the title sequence for the whole series, but that was kind of jarring looking at that. Yeah, I'm sure if you put them in a jar, never mind. Well, I, I just kind of overall thought this was too easy. Magneto got defeated so quickly, but they only had 20-something minutes to do this episode, But and it would be different from the comic book and anything, of course, that we've seen subsequently and so on. Well, my my thing, going back over to the, the quote-unquote theme song that we had in the opening, just the announcer going, Spider-Man. It reminded me of the early 90s uh Sega Spider-Man arcade game where you literally just hear the, there's like an announcer that just goes, Spider-Man! And that's it. That's all it reminded me of. And I realize this is a pointless story. And, you know, you probably just fast forward this if you're listening to this. So but, they probably just put it on a loop, like for the video game, after so much it, of uh, music of moving around, whatever you're doing in the game, and just Spider-Man comes out. Uh, unless you yeah. get to a certain point or achieve so many, so many points, that is, and that's what happens. I don't know. But my thing about this that also I got a kick out of was the animation style. It was very, and you know, going on the Wikipedia page reading about this, it further hammered home the point that I was thinking of. This had a very John Romita Sr. feel to it, right down to how the characters look, the faces. I really enjoyed that, and it's a very solid animation style. For the time, it's really slick and very well polished. But again, you can have a great-looking cartoon, but it should still have it should still be paired with solid writing, solid animation direction. Yeah. But instead, we have this this great-looking cartoon, because that's what it is. It is really great, especially for its time, but paired with such slow, molasses writing. Well, see, that's why you got some of it as being solid, some of it as being more liquid, and the other is going to be just a yeah. gas. Well, and, and the story uh, is all over there. I mean... It's so hard to follow, you know, what's going on. It's almost like they gave it to six people and said, hey, each of you write three minutes of a story, and then they slapped it together. It was very hard following, you know, what was happening and why things were happening and how people got from place to place. And that was one of the things I I considered it. Mm. As you're saying, Peter, it did look great, but the story was just all over the place. And that, and as far as you, Peter, saying about how you got a Romita feel for it or whatever, I honestly didn't attach any artist, writer name to it. Um, and then again, you know, this is an animated thing, and my art and writing is always static and still, so I 
completely must have missed something that could have been picked up. Well, for me, like the reason I say that is just it, the way Aunt May looked, for example, she looked just like a Romita drawing comes to life. And I was surprised. I'm just watching. I'm like, huh, that looks really familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So there's that. But on top of that, one of the things about this, you know, that I got a kick out of was at the very end when Peter's in the uh, lecture hall and they're showing all the Spider-Man photographs on the wall. If you notice, there were a crap ton of signature Spider-Man poses that are like permeated throughout Marvel comics history. Yeah, I think I remember that. Okay. And I recognize like a ton of them. And I'm like, wow, Marvel Productions was like, here, include this one, this one, this one. There's one of like Spider-Man swinging and he's like cupping a fart or something. And, you know, you have the other one. <laughs> So there's the, see, you had some salt, some liquid, some gas. Perfect. And we just have all of these different things in there. And again, I just got a kick out of seeing all of those familiar Spider-Man poses. And you could tell that was Marvel Productions, their animation division, throwing some stuff, you know, from high on up. And I don't know if you guys caught this, if you stayed after the credits, but seeing the little thing at the end obviously it's not from that original run they probably repackaged it from you know when they included this in the 80s but seeing that marvel production graphic of the cgi spider-man coming down on top of the mp logo was pretty great and it brings back a ton of memories for myself from watching muppet babies in the 80s 90s and that was in there they would always include because that was a marvel productions production no i did not notice i thought i watched it through okay but it's one of those, again, just they throw the little things out there like that, and I got a kick out of that. How I'm, I'm just wondering now how many, uh, I didn't look to see how many episodes was uh, in that were in that run. For the most part, I want to say it was probably 23, because that's what they do with many, you know, half-hour animation series. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, unless you're a primetime show, if you're first season, you'll probably just get 13, as evident on Disney+, Plus, which, once again, Still a year later, it still feels weird to say, but when you watch the Disney Plus program, The Simpsons, it's you see the very first season, 13 episodes, and then two onward is like 23 or 22 episodes. Okay. And that's why even, you know, the very first season of X-Men 92, there's 13 episodes, but then the rest is like 20-something, 20-something, and then you get to the final season where it's like seven episodes. It's a half season. Pretty much. But one of the things that, again, I got a kick out of with this episode, another pro, is the fact of the voice acting. Everything about it was really, really good. And I just I could not get over the voice acting of Peter Parker's Spider-Man. He had that very Brooklyn kind of tone to his voice, too, which is one of the early examples because of, you know, actually utilizing the background of the character. And I thought... That was a very smart direction from Marvel Productions. Give the character that kind of voice, as opposed to much, you know, as much as I love it and it holds very near and dear to my heart, Spider-Man 94, he doesn't have that New Yorker kind of voice to him. Well, maybe, Stu, you're with me on this, in that this being, and I cannot recall having seen it before, but just trying to wrap my head around, or my ears around the voice that was Spider-Man in this particular episode, and I just needed to say, I think I need to see it again to to get a better feel for, oh, yeah, that's that's him. That's Spider-Man. 
You know, the thing is, is that um, the voice was very noticeable, and um, I, I couldn't place the accent as as Brooklyn or Queens, but he did speak, you know, with a certain tone, which I thought was interesting. I, I think that his whole, you know, kind of cocky attitude was very well done. Um, you know, I'll tell you the truth. Um, I've actually watched this twice already, um, and I probably will watch it a third time uh, after speaking to YouTube uh, to go back and pick up on some of the things you're mentioning. So uh, there's a lot of nuance to this short 22-minute uh, story. Mm-hmm. Also, as I said before, it just Goes it literally goes for a lot of places from New York to space to Easter Island. So you know you have to kind of watch it a couple of times to really get the full uh, you know uh, aspect of what's going on. That was actually bordering on kind of comical for sure with the uh, the, the Easter Island statues and uh, webbing them all sort of kind of together or in a circle anyway. The Easter Island thing, I immediately got Super Mario Land vibes, especially with the Easter Island heads. That's why when I saw them and they're like all rubbery and everything, I'm like, is well, Mario going to jump in and on their heads? But wait, what? I'm just thinking now, wasn't one of those Easter Island um, figures in the um, Ben Stiller movie, Night at the Museum? Dumb Dumb? Probably, oh, yeah. Something very similar anyway. Dumb Dumb. Dumb Dumb want yum yum? Something. Dumb Dumb want gum gum. But, you know, one of the things that I thought is that, you know, you have the activity at the launch base, and then Spider-Man is shot into space, and then uh, he goes to Magneto's lair, which is Easter Island, but wasn't Magneto already just at the launch base? So in the time that it took Peter to do his little space ride. How did Magneto get from the launch base, which I would think was somewhere in New York, to Easter Island? He took the express. Oh, that answer is easy. A wizard did it. <laughs> wizard did it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, that explains that. So I guess maybe he got bamfed over. I don't know. Uh, there was no brimstone smell. I think afterwards. And we had not mentioned this during this episode, but when you just mentioned bamfing. When I watched this episode, I thought this was going to be the one where the X-Men show up. So, like, one of the early appearances in a cartoon of everyone's favorite Mary Mutants. And instead, it's just Spider-Man facing off against Magneto. And if you notice, by the way, during the opening credits of this show, some character shows up more than anybody, more than his actual Spider-Man's main foe, the Green Goblin. We kept seeing Doctor Doom in that opening segment. Yes, that's right. And I want to know why they kept going with him as a character, because he's, he's more associated with the Fantastic Four, which, you know, is a given, obviously, because, you know, he originated in there. But were they trying to make Doctor Doom more of a character for Spidey? I don't know. But even in the, at the time of the comics, he wasn't showing up, you know, showing up in Amazing Spider-Man. Maybe it was what was planned as to other villains they wanted to include, and they said, yeah, let's just leave it in the opening and see what happens. It was either that, my thought, or if there was, I don't know the timeline when a Fantastic Four animated series came out, if they would have you know, incorporated Doom in, into that, and maybe they were crossing him over and making some relatability. If you saw the Fantastic Four, now you're going to like Doom in Spider-Man. I don't know. And if, if it, on the topic, by the way, of Fantastic Four, it's kind of a disappointment that Marvel and Disney don't have the rights to the 1960s Fantastic Four cartoon, mm. which it was uh, Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera, yeah. Warner Brothers now owns the rights to it. 
But mm-hmm. it, it is such an underrated series, and I cannot recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Stu? No, I, 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 I agree. I was going to say that maybe because of the, the time frame of 1981, they wanted to go with a, a masked villain that was uh, similar to, like, Darth Vader or, you know, the, the Stormtroopers or things that, like, that was, you know, really popular from 1977. So the choice was to kind of pique kids' interest and say, oh, look at this Darth Vader-looking, like, guy. Uh, perhaps that might have been the strategy. That's a I good thought. I see that. Yeah, good thought. Especially because, yeah, this is a year removed from Empire, so... And the other thing, though, is it's funny because Spider-Man has such a great rogues gallery. And again, it's comparable to Batman. And I would even go as far as to say Spider-Man has a better rogues gallery than Batman. But mm-hmm. I know there are going to be a lot of people out there going, but the Joker! Still. Still. No, it's, that's just a very interesting thought. I'm, I'm contemplating a... A response. Uh, what, what I also noticed was that, at, to a certain degree, um, there were, you know, like in the launch scenes, there were a lot of people um, and a lot of different types of people, and they were drawn differently. Um, but then, you know, on the city uh, scenes, on like the street scenes, it, it was pretty empty. So, you know, I think that there was a choice maybe to and put more interest in some of the exciting plot-driving scenes versus some of the other scenes. What do you guys think about that? I have to watch it again is what I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm in the same boat yeah. about that. Yeah. You got the benefit My, on, of two watches, it looks like, Stu. <laughs> well, I took notes. <laughs> and that, see, I would have also, but I, yeah, it's like uh, I've been removed from that from the movies or so. My thing is in regards to... Just the, the story, again, going with what Stu had said, it is very jumbled. It's very, there's so many, I feel like there were so many different, you know, cooks putting their spatulas and woks and everything in here. I don't know why I threw woks in, but whatever. But they, they're going in all these different directions. And I just feel, yeah, they, if they had a more cohesive, singular vision for this, it would have been a lot more enjoyable. But also, again, the pacing in this is so slow that at one point I hit the eight-minute mark. And then I look at my, you know, the little timer, and there's still, like, double the amount of time left. And I audibly said, oh, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's such a uh, slow-moving show, and yet it's so jumbled, too. Well, for for example, just to follow up on that, Peter, they have the whole thing with Dr. Goddard, uh, the rocket expert named after the rocket um, uh, pioneer. So I thought that was actually pretty clever. But they had the stuff with Peter and the professor's thesis and, you know, going to get it bound. There was all that. There was the thing with, you know, Mr. M. And I was curious if this was a point in the storytelling that uh, Spider-Man had already met Magneto because to a certain degree, he couldn't figure out who this guy with magnetic powers were. And then what happened is there was a whole thing where 
um, Magneto had to pick up the tanks and the cars and the guns from the army base and bring them to the Central Park Zoo, which is oddly specific, and then drop everything on to the people in the zoo. So it, just, it really looked, there, were, there was a lot of stuff going on. Then there was, you know, Spider-Man space surfing on, on the satellite and going down to Easter Island. I, I really think that w- this was uh, a, a, uh, written by a committee, perhaps. Right. I, my other thing about this, though, that got me thinking was when you watch this show, some of the actors in, or some of the characters in this look like real-world actors, and it actually gave me some, like, fan-casting theories of ideas of what could have been at one point. And when I look at Magneto, I don't remember the actor's name, but the way he looks reminds me of the actor he was... He was in Jackie Brown. He's the one that, you know, goes off and buys, like, the cassette tapes of, like, you know, the the R&B musicians and whatnot. And he recently passed away. I forgot his name. It's Robert Robert Forrester. Yes. Oh. Robert Forrester would have made a great Magneto. And so it, true. Just look at how Magneto looks in there. You get such strong Robert Forrester vibes. And, yeah, it's... Just imagine, like, this is 1980-something. Canon Pictures finally releases their version of Spider-Man. You have Magneto as Rob... You know, played by Robert Forrester. And then you have that Dudikoff kid as Spider-Man, because he was supposed to be Spider-Man in those films if they were to ever get off the ground, which, narrator, they did not. They did not. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the end of my uh, tirade. Thank you. But Robert Forrester would have made a damn good Magneto. Why did we pick episode I- number six, by the way? Honestly, I just wanted to pick a random episode of the series, not, you know, go from the start, because when you watch a show from the very beginning, they're still trying to find their footing. And episode six, it's still close to the early episodes, but it's also still, at this point, you're a month into the show. You are trying, you know, okay, this is what they're doing. So, honestly, that's why I went with episode number six. And again, I went with it because... Spider-Man going off against a villain who he doesn't normally go against. Mm, okay. At least that we've known, yes. Yeah, and again, it's it's one of those things where you see a character like that. He's so out of his element going against a quote-unquote different kind of baddie. Although I'm shocked they didn't like throw... Like, I don't know the whole series offhand, but this seems like a series where for no reason he goes up against Galactus. I could totally see that being the case. <sighs> If he's going into space, sure, why not? And somehow he manages to defeat Galactus in the less than 22-minute timeline for the episode. Exactly. An oversized web web ball down the old gullet. That'll do it every time. And it's a very interesting approach with this kind of show, especially because it's a singular episode where everything is neatly wrapped up in the 22-minute timeline. You have the main focus of the episode, and it will be resolved by the end of the episode. And it's a lot different than what animation is nowadays, because, for example, you look at the current you know, Spider-Man animated series, they have the overarching story throughout the whole season. You look at, I know recently they did the Spider-Man Web Warriors, I believe, and it was one singular thing. You have, uh, 
I know they're doing a Venom story or an Absolute Carnage story in their upcoming season. And it's going to be one whole season devoted to that. Well, that's the way it was done and it needed to be that way. I, I suppose that the idea maybe wasn't to continue the storyline. But I do right. remember, like, uh, when we started watching, or at least I started watching the X-Men animated series 92, there was a two-part, whether it was Sentinels or X-Men, there was a part one and part two to that. Yeah, that was the first night of the Sentinels, parts one and two. Yes. Mm-hmm. So things I, changed by then, of course. I think it might have been a business decision to just allow um, uh, repeating the various episodes in in any order in any particular order where if you have a, uh, overall story, then you're kind of locked into the sequence. So maybe, uh, there was that kind of, uh, reasoning. Also, one of the things that I'd be interested, you guys are much more knowledgeable about, you know, comics in general than I am. I happen to be more of a toy guy, but, um, back in that uh, era, were the, were the comic book stories more, single issues and did it only like in the 80s you start having the overall arcs like um crisis on uh, infinite earths and all that i mean did this mirror the way comics were at the time or do you think it was a business decision for playing the episodes in any order i think back in the 80s it was comics were more they were starting to do longer story arcs because in the mid seven mid to late 70s you have the clone saga with spider-man and then in Mm -hmm. the 80s you start getting more and more, it starts to become a a story thread. Like, you know, you look at Chris Claremont's X-Men at the time, especially, and it's a lot of dangling plot threads that will get resolved, not, you know, five issues from now, but like 20 to 50 to even 100. Mm. And like, for example, right now, I'm going through my X-Men reread, I'm up to Inferno, and there's a lot of plot threads involving Madeline Pryor that came around... They were introduced in like 180 to 190 something. I'm up to 240 something. So it's a lot of stuff like that. When they're finally being resolved at that point, like almost 100 issues later. Well, but, in my in my active comic reading days in the in the 80s, and again mostly Marvel stuff, I always thought that DC was each individual issue stood on its own, didn't necessarily be continued. Marvel definitely didn't do more of that uh, overall. Um, for the most part, even going back maybe further than the uh, early 80s, even. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And the uh, the other thing, though, like I said, you know, the television stuff, it's a little bit behind on what, like, the comics were in the sense of every episode might be someone's first. So they're going with that element of let's just have this be a one-and-done episode. You don't need to worry about, you know, oh, no, I got to go same bat time, same bat channel to, you know, watch the rest of this episode. Yeah, there were no V. Well, the VCRs weren't as popular then to to be able to go back or to to, to be able to record, so you could watch. Ah, oh, I missed the first part of this. Ah, man, am I going to watch this show or just not even bother with it? Maybe that was yeah. the thought process. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, business decision. The, the one thing to consider um, is looking at this episode. Um, has it done its job in in making people want to see more? of this particular series. And I looked at this and this was so wacky and different. And, you know, there was all the good points. We talked about it. I'll definitely watch other episodes 
of this particular series. I think it's worth, you know, seeing Spider-Man go up. You know, maybe he does go up against Doctor Doom at some point. But I think that this was enough. This was interesting enough to warrant me looking at this series uh, in greater detail. I would agree. To know, oh, this was out and I missed it. What was it really worth? Something that I should have missed or not missed? Just to satisfy the curiosity, if nothing else, sure. I really hate being the contrarian in this, but no, it does not make me want to watch more. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're you're you have a more sophisticated taste than uh, perhaps Eddie or I do, Peter. I mean, I'm the guy who likes Dolph Lundgren Punisher, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we just don't know, Stu, about Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I just feel it, I'm. I'm more interested, I guess, in the 90s kind of stuff because, yeah, there's a, you know, the comfort level for myself of this is what I grew up on. This is what I'm so used to. But I would say more like it, the 90s stuff and onward has a little bit more pizzazz. And honestly, it starts the, – the pizzazz and everything starts with Pride of the X-Men, which that's one of those not a lot of people really enjoy. But I thought it was great for what it was. Obviously, it has its flaws, but – it was the start of something new and the start of something different that we got to see more and more of as the years went on. Although, to be honest, one of the things about this Spider-Man that I may, I might actually give more of a try, if you look at the credits, one of the people that's involved is Larry Houston, who was heavily involved with X-Men 92. He's one of the main guys, main architects of what the show was, and a diehard comic fan, so... While I, you know, poo-poo on it a little bit, I will still try and give Spider-Man 81 and Amazing Friends a try because there were comic heads involved. There were people who loved the source material, and they want to put more, more again, I'm going to use that word, but pride into it. Kitty. Well, and, and you know, yes. one of the things that this points out, and not to be, you know, a show for Disney+, Plus, but... You know, I think um, I share a common point of view that I got Disney Plus so my the Wonder Twins and I could watch The Mandalorian. And you know, now that I see this treasure trove of material available, I'm like, well, hey, uh, you know, this is a tremendous resource and allows me to revisit you know things that I remember, like Spider Man and his amazing friends, and allows me to discover new things like Spider Man eighty one. So, you know, I think that uh, for me this was a pleasant surprise of, you know, how good um uh, the advantage of this particular um you know streaming service is. Yeah, and there's again, like you just said, the unexpected gems. One of the things that I found really interesting is the fact that this week, this past week, Marvel dropped a new Spider-Woman series. And one of, you know, the new, it's a new series. You can pick it up digitally now because of everything going on. But the very first issue, whatever, with the marketing of it, I went to my local comic shop before everything started shutting down, and they were giving away these little, uh, little prints of Spider-Woman from the 1980s cartoon, and it says now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Got one. And it, it was like a little surprise, like, wow, is this, you know, why are they putting this out to market? It, it got me curious. And that's one of the ones I've heard it's actually pretty decent. It's, I believe, the very first ever official, official Marvel production. Marvel had their hand in it 
more so than the 1960s Spider-Man, more so than Marvel comic book superheroes show. It was their own thing. So, Well, when you first said the marketing of the Spider-Woman series that came out, and I did pick up a copy of it, where you see a good picture of the, the redesigned costume, which has a lot of black in it, but the red on the top part, and seeing how there were, I don't know how many, multiple, four, maybe five different cover versions. Right. Just saying, that was another part of it. And I don't remember how often the company, Marvel or otherwise, decides to do so many different covers of a, of a first issue of a new series. I, well, I, as I recall, that was really a very big um in uh in uh, the 80s or so i remember you know the the late 80s or early uh, 90s um because that was when i was really going to a lot of uh, uh effort to pick up you know physical comics and mm-hmm. i remember um a lot of those different variant covers i do too in in somewhere around that time period maybe like you said early 90s and i don't know if it was a re booting of, of Marvel Fanfare or a different title that the second issue had two different covers. So I wound up getting both in a in a collecting back issue type of sense. And it was weird how it was just that, like a second issue as opposed to a first one, that they did two versions. Not that you could, you know, put them together and make a bigger picture out of it, but that's just what they, they did. Maybe they were experimenting, testing the waters. I don't know. So now let's rewind back over to Spider-Man 81, Overall, I would say the series, just alone, just based on this one episode, for me, I wasn't a fan, but I would consider giving it a little bit more of a try. What about you guys? Probably along the same lines, sure. Um, I I would agree. I, I think that also, you know, uh, in terms of the current situation, you know, I may very well see if, uh, you know, Max or Dina, the Wonder Twins, want to view something different. And what's good about this is the format at 22 minutes, I can have them, you know, view this and, and not get sucked into another viewing of Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, is like an hour and a half, two hours. So I think that these are, you know, bite-sized morsels of, you know, cartoon goodness. And I'm going to definitely see if the kids are interested and, and, and viewing this as kind of a break from their distance learning uh, during this time period. Good experiments, Stu, and we'll have to hear about what happens. Um, and I think, yes, they did, like they would have with all these episodes, uh, break it apart into, what, three segments. I think that's where you saw the pauses in the in the viewing of it. Personal bias well, aside, Stu, you should have them watch X-Men 92. Well, I, I, you know, like I said, um, that's also one of the surprise benefits of, of this exercise is now I realize that we can do all this stuff because I also, you know, I have uh, not now I'm totally going off on a tangent, but I have, uh, you know, the CBS app and I use the, that opportunity to finally watch all of Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> and, you know, uh, some will say that's a good use of time or poor use of time, but at least I finished the series. So, you know, I, I think that this is just another opportunity, especially, you know, while we're looking for, you know, ways to take our minds off, you know, things to, you know, basically uh, have this resource. Well, while we're having this very animated discussion, <laughs> you mentioned CBS All Access and you mentioned Trek. Is 
Star Trek the Animated Series available on there as well? I I don't know. I you know I, after I uh, was uh, watching uh, Discovery and now I'm watching Picard and you know I watched uh, Enterprise. You know I was thinking that I would go look for it because I I have good memories of 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 that. I mean that's what, that's actually one of the shows I re, I remember personally watching when I was you know seven or eight years old. So I'm going to try and take a look for it because. I, I think that um, Max and Dina would like that as well. And for my personal uh, bias again, with uh, CBS All Access, I recommend it just to watch Picard because in one episode, Riker makes a pizza. So that's just, you know, my personal selling point. And it was good. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. It's Frakes. Frakes makes good pizza, probably. <laughs> pizza time. So now before we wrap this episode up, Stu, we want to say thank you for being on the program today. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, you flatterer. How, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Well, I'm Stuart Greenberg. Uh, to go all against the whole stew thing I talked about, I am Stuart Greenberg on Facebook. Um, I'm um, on um, Instagram and Twitter as Stu the New Jersey Bat Dad. So, Stu the NJ Bat Dad. Very cool. Nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. I still say all stew, all different works as well. If you're going to, you know, go into the marble kind of thing. Well, I'm I'm seriously considering it, my friend. Stew for all. Oh, and let me also say this: that um, there are three episodes of my personal podcast, um, stewing it, and I am working with the good folks, um, Mike and Ming, at a shared. Universe Podcast Studio to do a remote uh, fourth episode. So I, that should be available on SoundCloud within the next couple of weeks. And I don't remember which Stu episode that was that you were with Dave DeVenter? That was episode number three. Which was all about, was was mostly Bat-centric? Um, it was about uh, the adventures we had had and pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so basically what happened is Episode one was at our good friend Mitch Halleck's Terrificon, uh, where our other good friend uh, Tina Ramos sat in, and then I had a mystery guest, so I don't know, even know who that was. It was just some guy who said, oh, you're podcasting, and sat down and had a talk with us. So that was episode one. Uh, episode two was a, um unboxing of some framework that my good friend uh, George Cormos at Revere Picture Framing in Middletown, New Jersey did. Episode three was uh, the Dave uh, DeVenter episode. And I think for episode four, if I can uh, get his get his schedule right, I'll have a uh, another episode with George talking about pop culture. Good stuff. For The Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Stu. And I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior. Another episode begins now of Obsessed with Marvel, our chance to show how much or little we know in the Marvel Universe, featuring our guest, Stu. All right, this is question number 1,822, and it reads like this. In which section of New York City did Matt Murdock grow up? Oh, I think it's a no-brainer. Lower East Side, Queens, Brooklyn, or Hell's Kitchen?
Which section of New York City did Matt Murdock grow up? Again, Lower East Side, Queens, Brooklyn, Hell's Kitchen. I'm sorry, Peter. Heck Kitchen. X Kitchen. Heck Kitchen. H E double hockey sticks. Yep. Uh, Stu, do you have a guess? Well, I, I know that's where he's based as an adult, so let's go for it. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, that could be a little trick. But we're going to go with letter D and see what happens. Here we are. And yes, that is correct. We got the D. We got the D. We're high achievers. D Actually, all the way. D, D would be even better. Or, Peter, what else would it be? Peter. Dur, dur. Ooh, I like dur, dur. You're the one who first coined that term to me. I call it daredevil dur, dur, because it saves time on syllables. Oh, boy. Like one? <laughs> daredevil dur, dur. Gives one me, syllable. Gives me more time for activities. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to question number 783, please. Who teamed up with the Hulk in the Avengers number three, back to 1964? In Avengers number three, who teamed up with the Hulk? Was it the other founding members of the Avengers? Was it the Submariner? Was it the leader or the Space Phantom? Wow. Should I read that again? This was Please. around the time when he's in the first issue as a hero, and then he does a heel turn and becomes one of the bad guys. I do remember so the Hulk being a bad guy. So who teamed up with the Hulk in Avengers number three, thinking about that? The other founding members of the Avengers, the Submariner, the leader, or the Space Phantom? Well, if he had the heel turn, it would be the leader, wouldn't it? I would think I most think likely. Be, I think it would be Namor, because mm-hmm. Namor was being pushed as a bad guy during that time. That's true, too. You know what? And then, of course, I guess a little later, came along the uh, Marvel superheroes, which featured the Incredible Hulk and the Submariner. I think I'm swayed to go with... I think I'm swayed to go to Namor. And, uh, all right, so let's try letter B. That is correct. Yeah. Boom. You looking for this? In my defense, gentlemen, I'm more of a DC guy. I'm sorry. I know the name of the podcast, but I'm more of a DC guy, so... I apologize. That is quite all right. We cross the streams somewhat frequently. Well, as a spoiler for uh, a very, very near soon episode of the show coming up, uh-huh. our Spider-Man 94 episode, we're going to be doing an episode about one of the episodes in there. We're bringing a former guest co-host who is a big fan of the Distinguished Competition, and he's even, dare I say, a DCist. Yeah. You know, it happens. It's trying to give some... Uh, I don't know. Not equal time, but some fair amount of acknowledgement. Question number 33. Why doesn't Black Bolt, ruler of the Inhumans, speak? Boy, we may have a three for here. What happened? Cat got his tongue. Cat got his tongue. That's great. He only speaks in times of political crisis. He was born mute. He communicates by telepathy, not by speech or his voice creates powerful vibrations that could destroy a city. That's it. Get to be again. That's the answer right there. What the last answer? Yep. The last answer. Yeah, we're gonna. He's have to got speak. a. He's got a big, destructive, powerful voice. All right, good. I, hey, Stu, you know that's that's good. Your Marvel is showing, and that is correct. Three for three. Whoa. Dare we press okay, on? Joey Lawrence. I think we should. <laughs> we can't. I don't think this has happened in any of the episodes we've done the questions. All right, so we've got to go forward here, please. 1,000. 
300 and 42. What is Blink's mutant power? Blink from the Exiles, I would say, yes? Ah, crap. Is it super speed? Is it projects intense light? Is it teleportation? Is it invisibility? Ooh, I think we have four for four coming here. What is Blink's mutant power? Super speed, projects intense light, teleportation, or invisibility? I I think it's teleportation. Is it, it wasn't that in the the movie uh, Days of Future Past? Wasn't she in that? Yes. And if there's anything of those answers that fits what we saw in that movie, teleportation would be at one place to another. I agree. Oh, well, it's about time here. Letter C, please. And yes! I can't believe it. Four for four. That sounds like a home run. We hit all the bases. Woo! I can't believe it's not butter. Ha! <laughs> oh, Parquet.